Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, darling. Hello. How are you this week, Jadie? I'm good, babes. How are you? I'm actually really good. I'm in good lockdown spirits this week. Oh, I feel like I'm in good lockdown spirits this week. We're never in a good mood together. I know. I know. What the hell? And I also feel like there's like a little light at the end of the tunnel. I'm just having that feeling, you know? It's because it's spring. Yes. Yeah, that was going to be my high. I just wrote down what's my high of the week, oh, the huge. fact that it's spring. <laughs> spring has sprung. I love to say that. Spring has sprung. And now because of that, I have to exercise before 6am. Otherwise I will be a grumpy, miserable fat wreck. So yeah, you're acting like you're <laughs> pumped that it's spring. You like sweat in winter. You're fucked now I am. I am really devo, really devo. <gasps> the humidity is going to come in and I'm going to be sweating and miserable. Send me to Antarctica. Now tell me what was the high of your week? Is it spring has sprung too? Are we both going to talk about the weather? Nah. I am going to say that I last week sold my car and she sold the lemon (laughs) this week. And just if the owner of this car happens to come across this podcast, it is now fine again. It's it's deep. I can assure you the person who bought your car does not listen to this podcast because if they listen to this podcast, they would not buy your car. No one willingly buys a car that has a rodent family in it. I don't reckon people, like men don't care. Okay, I think even men care if there's a dead mama rat in your console and everyone. So I Googled it. Um, it <sighs> takes two weeks to get the smell of a dead rat out of your console. The dead rat is still in the console but it's just decomposed composing now and it no longer smells. Oh my, fabulous. Yeah. So anyway, that's not my problem. That's someone else's problem now, but I have bought a new secondhand car. So there we go, guys. I know you're all dying to know my car journey and here it is. So that's my high of the week. Someone wrote in saying that they had a whole like ant colony living in the vents of their car and they would forget about it like every winter or something. And then every summer when they turn their air con on, it would just spray out dead ants into the car. I'd still take the ants over the rat I'm sorry but I'm stoked that you got a new car thank you let's hope it comes with an engine because (laughs) knowing my luck it's probably a little bit of karma or it might come with a rat who knows anyway my low happened this morning Yumi decided to sit on our tv unit and it flipped over and she smashed the vases everything that was on it it all smashed she was fine and I had to clean it up it wasn't even six o'clock and I was just Devo. Actually, I have another high of the week that's not just the weather. Oh, people who've listened to last week's episode will know what I'm talking about. Have you tried the Juliet crystal wand? Oh, well, I must admit, my husband and I have. Yes, and this is not sponsored, but it arrived. It was very hard and cold, and I was a bit like, I'm not going to enjoy that. And she ate did. my words. And she did. She so ate her words. Thank you, Juliet, and for Nicholas's, gifting that. Yeah, very cold, but very sensational. 
Sensational. Yeah, sensational. Now, do you have a Rudolph Fabulous for us this week? Okay, so the Rudolph Fabulous, and we're going to say this backstory after, is for the incredible listeners, aka you guys, that have come on into our DMs and asked us who the hell's voices are matching Sophie and Jade. So there is a fair few people out there that don't follow us on Instagram, you should, London, Boston, SVPs, and the ones that don't, we have to tell them who is actually speaking. So right now, Jade is speaking. And you are on the right of our logo. I'm on the right. And then right now it's Sophie and I am on the left of the logo. So I reckon Sophie is a little bit more like articulate and a little bit more like, I don't know, just a little bit clearer with her wording, whereas I'm a little bit, you know, Australian boganish and have a huskier voice. Someone said Sophie's more articulate, but then Jade goes on the rants where you can tell she's not really thinking, but we love them. That's <laughs> what someone said. Exactly. Exactly. And, I, and it's great. That's fabulous. But Jade rushed through it in her is it unarticulate, non-articulate way? Whatever. I don't know. But it's SV Pierce, S-V-P-E-A-R-C-E, and London X Boston. And this is not a thirst trap to get more followers. It's just because <laughs> if you're listening about the fact, you know, that we like the Juliet Crystal want, then we at least deserve a follow from your ass. And also, so- and also, we have like whenever we're talking about situations, you can get like actual footage or photos of what we're talking about because we plant this shit everywhere. Yeah, and then if you want to follow our Instagram page, it's beyondthebump.podcast on Insta. And it is a rude or fabulous because I find it so funny that people were like, people were sliding into our DMs telling us how many episodes they had to listen to before they could tell our voices apart. And the general consensus seems to be about 15. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll put up a post this week and it'll be how many episodes did you have to listen to before you could tell us apart? Yeah, exactly. All right. So do you have a low? Oh, just lockdown's boring. Yeah, okay. And do you have a mum hack? I do have a mum hack for us. It was sent in by a lovely listener, but it's definitely something I've done before too. And I think most people would have given a whirl before. Now it says. Do tell. Thanks. Also wanted to share a mum tip slash hack too for a two and four year old for the potty. I find it increasingly hard in the morning to get the kitchen tidied up, beds made, etc. The other day my son wanted to play hide and seek, so I obliged. It dawned on me in the first turn that both children were hiding and I had some time to find them. So I tidied the kitchen first round, yelling out the occasional, where could they be? Next round I picked things up and placed them away followed by making the beds Legend. it was a win-win I got the house tidy and they thought hiding in plain sight that they were the best hiders in the whole world needless to say we play hide and seek every morning now and I am always the finder oh my gosh I absolutely love this and I think it coincides with a rude or fabulous and it's absolutely fabulous absolutely fabulous Now let's get into today's episode. We chatted to the beautiful Helene and we chatted all about parental burnout, which we think is very timely with the state of Australia. Many parents feeling just completely over the whole gig. Helene is an award-winning international psychologist, a family coach, a child educator and a nanny. She is also my very first child educator for when Mia was about, I think she was two and a half. 
she went to Helene. So, yeah. And basically, if you don't care about what we're going to talk about in this episode, still listen because Helene has the most beautiful accent oh, that is like ASMR. So if you need something to fall asleep to, not saying we're boring, it's just sensual. If you need something to fall asleep. Sexual. Sensual. Oh. If you need something to fall asleep to, just something to have you feeling calm and good during these trying oh, times, it. this is it. And if you need a nanny, you know who to call. <laughs> Enjoy. Before we get started, just a quick trigger warning that we touch very briefly on suicidal thoughts and child abuse in this episode. All right, Helene, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Are you able to introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Tell us a bit about yourself and why you're here to chat about what we're going to chat about today. Yes, thank you so much for having me and thank you for your listener to listen. Um, so my name is Hélène Gatland and I am from France. I think you already got that idea. <laughs> I moved to Australia 10 years ago. Didn't lose my accent, but um, I was a psychologist in France and came here and became a nanny and family daycare educator. And I was the lucky one who cared about Jade's daughter for a while. So that was really special. And I, so I never stopped really doing stuff about psychology. But lately, I, I took more of my time to look into what was happening in the French-speaking countries that weren't really done here. And I found out about parental burnout that has been widely studied in France for the last few years, but weren't really in the media here or talked about here, when actually there is a lot of people suffering from it here. And so I decided to become trained uh, into this field. And so now I'm here to talk about that today. Fantastic. And we're so excited to have you on to talk about parental burnout. Can I ask, when they were doing studies overseas, was this before the pandemic happened? Like, were they already researching parental burnout? Because I feel like even COVID aside, that is a thing. Yeah, so that's that's exactly right. So actually, parental burnout, the first time it was talked about was in 1983. So it's not something new, but it's only uh, in 2017 that it was intensively studied by two Belgian researchers. So I need to say their name because they did an amazing job. And they are Dr. Um, Isabel Hoskam and Dr. Moha Mikolajak. And so they brought this to light. And what they found in their research is actually it's much more prevalent in the 21st century compared to before. But as you said, lockdown, COVID-19, and all this uncertainty that bring more stress to parents has also bring more parental burnout um, symptoms in parents. So let's start from the start. What is parental burnout and how does it differ from just being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is exactly right. So parental burnout affects parents who are exposed to parental stress and lack the resources to cope with that stress. So it's a question of a balance. So if you can have a lot of stress in your life and all the parents know they have a lot of stress, but if you have the resources to cope with it, you will be fine. It's just the imbalance between the stressor and the resources. So usually the first symptom of parental burnout to appear is the exhaustion from the parental role, which is really interesting because parents can be completely fine at work and just before going back home, 
they begin to go really slow in the car and find reason to not go home. Or once they are at home, they are extremely tired. So it's, a, it's an exhaustion that is specifically due to the parenting role. Uh, and this exhaustion can be uh, emotional, so feeling like they can't cope anymore, or cognitive, so feeling unable to think properly, or physical, so feeling fatigued. Um, the second symptom is the overload and loss of pleasure from parenting. So the parents are un unable to handle being a parent anymore, um, and they are overwhelmed and no longer they have pleasure from parenting. And the third symptom is the emotional distancing from their children. And that's a hard one. So what is good is they didn't find that the parents were not loving their children anymore. But the researcher found that parents were just not capable of showing love anymore as much as before. So they paid less attention. Is that that feeling where I guess sometimes you can have been with your kids all day and you're so frustrated and you're, as you say, you're tired. And then the second they go, it's it's not a lack of love. Like the second they go to sleep mm. or they go to daycare or they go into someone else's care or, or whatever away. it may be that they're, <laughs> away from you, <laughs> you look at photos of them and you go, oh, my gosh, look at them. They're just so cute. Is, is, is it that kind of feeling where it's like it's not that you don't love them, it's just you've had enough? Yeah. Yes, so that's that's a beautiful thing that parents still are able to love their children in parental burnout because parental burnout, the research comes a lot from work burnout, and in work burnout, the distanciation also happened with the patients. But actually, they found out that the people who were in work burnout couldn't love anymore their patients. But that's not what's happening with parental burnout, which is great news. Um, so it's, it's a normal feeling to feel like you're happy when they leave. And what's, what's the difference between parental burnout and depression? Because I think that a lot of people are confused between the two and trying to work out what the differences are there. So it's, it's quite difficult to, um, so there is depression, postnatal depression. There are a lot for parents to get the idea from. The best thing to do for her parents, if he's asking the question, is actually to um, do a test. And I can send the test to parents if they want to. It's very easy. But it's the biggest difference between all of these symptoms. It's parental burnout is only about parenting. So depression ah. will be more all, mm. but what they found is actually parental burnout is only parent about parenting. The last thing about parental burnout is also a contrast, and that's a very important one to know. It, parents have to have burnt in, so giving a lot to the children, trying their best, trying to be the perfect parents, doing everything perfectly, and then they burn out. So you cannot just like have a pregnancy and then be in parental burnout. That's not what's happening. Yeah. You have to mm. actually be in like giving everything, giving all your soul and everything and, and then you're in parental burnout. There has to be a difference between a time that you really enjoyed what you were giving in to being a parent to them being exhausted by that. And what a perfect time to realise that from a day-to-day -day normal life to a pandemic and lockdown with your children, right? Yes, exactly. It's parents will say, um, the sentence that you will hear often is parents saying, for example, I'm a shadow of what I was or I don't recognise myself. And it's not only just the parents or friends, it can be the partners or the children who will say, what's up? You're different. You're screaming more. You're always angry now. Yeah. And 
that's where you realise, oh, something has changed, I'm not the same anymore. And can burnout kind of come and go week to week? I mean, I have, I feel like I've got weeks where I, like my parenting resilience is so much higher than other weeks, but I don't feel like it ever really like stretches on, for example, for months. It's more like I have some weeks where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this gig is constant Mm. and relentless. And I feel like I give so much just for you to whinge back at me. And then other weeks I'm like, God, I'm good at this. I'm smashing this. You guys are great. Like we're a good team. Like is it normal for it to come and go? Yes. So as every syndrome, like when you're in depression, it's you're not 100% of the time in depression. Uh, every syndrome, you have a time where you are better. What makes you more or less in parental burnout is a frequency. Mm. So you can be at risk of parental burnout or you can be in parental burnout. And it's a frequency that you have been feeling the symptoms. So the best way actually to know, again, it's a test. We also do it in clinical um like a talk, like if you go to see a psychologist and just talk to them, they can, they will know. But there is test um, available online. I wouldn't recommend to do them online just because you're alone with the results and they can mm. be quite hard to digest. But yeah. again, you can just give me a call. I do this for free and I can send the test and we can talk about it together. But yes, that's a frequency. And what are the risk factors involved? So why causes of parental burnout vary between families, the international investigation that was led by Isabel Hoskam and Moira Mikolajak um, suggests that there are common risk factors. So this includes dealing with difficult children, also the capacity of dealing with stressful situations, a desire to be a perfect parent, and we all know that in the world we live today, everybody's pushing us to that. Um, difficulty in delegating parental responsibilities. Uh, another one which is interesting is being a full-time parent. So people will think, oh, if you're a full-time parent, you shouldn't be in parental burnout. But that's actually the opposite because you never have a break. Mm, mm, absolutely. Don't doubt that. <laughs> yes, yes. And another one that is very interesting for uh, the research was people who were being highly educated. Normally when you're highly educated, you have less mental health issues. There is the opposite, and it's probably due to the fact that parents who are highly educated read a lot of books and have a lot of pressure on themselves, and so they get more into parental burnout. And the last one, I'm sure you will like it, um, being a mom. So that's an interesting one too because, yeah, there is a lot to say about that. I'm going to admit something, and there were a few mothers that wrote in about with the question sticker about mum rage. And what the question was, was, is mum rage a sign of parental burnout and what can we do about it? Now, for me personally, I get to around 4 p.m. every day, especially because my three children are at home, and I feel completely and utterly burnt out because all I have had is little, I guess, arguments with mini children all day and I get to a point where I'm about to explode. So my mum rage is I do, I end up just yelling or I say something or I'm like, I just need my space. I need to regroup. Is this a part of parental burnout? There's a lot that I can say in what you said, but yes, I would say it is a sign of parental burnout. But again, it is just a sign. I wouldn't be able to say if people are in parental burnout just with that. But Mm. definitely it's something that say, mm, I should maybe check 
the test and have a look a little more into it. So all of us, we have to control a lot during the day and all day long we control. And it's our human nature to let go on our loved ones. And it's often the partner and the children. And I often take the image of the of an iceberg. And if you imagine a situation, exactly what you said, like you just cannot do it with your children anymore, but actually you said there was something before. And often we just think about the situation, but if we stop and think, okay, actually a lot happened before mm. and my personality is this and my story is this, um, I'm so sorry to have actually screamed at that time, but I have so much more that I haven't controlled before. So if you look into just the end, it's not really helpful. You need to look into why you got so upset before. And that's a big part of actually one of the courses I do. We work a lot on emotional competency. And people who have low emotional competency are less um, going into parental burnout. Sign me up. Yeah, it's a really good part of the course where we actually work a lot on identifying emotions, then understanding them and utilizing them, expressing them and controlling them. But also we work a lot on understanding when do you arrive to the end? How can you prevent it before? What are the steps that you can do to prevent before being in the mom rage? And let me guess, I'm sure communication is a big fat one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think mom rage is also a difficult one because it's kind of like, I can't remember how the saying goes, but something about drinking poison twice is so often we rage and then not only do we rage, we then make ourselves feel bad later about the fact that we've gotten angry. So you're not just feeling bad about the fact, you you know, you haven't just had that angry moment. You're then also sitting in this guilt of having had an angry moment and it can be so, I think, detrimental because then it's often, you know, when they go to sleep or whatever, you then just have this overwhelming guilt of going, oh, why did I get so angry? They're just a small human, etc., etc." Yes. Have you done my course, Sophie? Because it's the next part of the course. Sophie. <laughs> so, oh, I might have got a sneak peek. No, not really. <laughs> the next part of the course, oh, one part of this course actually, is explaining exactly what you say, like these guilt that happen after and explaining to parents that it's, it is a normal process. But by feeling guilty, you actually feel more fragile. So it's this fragility will bring you to this rage, will bring you to this guilt, will bring you to this fragility, and it's a circle. Mm. And so as a psychologist, I always say to to the parents, um, we need to break it so you can choose where to break it. But the easier way to break it is actually just before you feel guilty Mm. and think, okay, I can feel guilty. That's normal. I didn't do something perfect or right here, but trying also to not use the word perfect. So I didn't do something normal. I didn't do something that I should have done, but this is going to help me. I'm going to work on it. And I'm not going to stay in these guilty feelings. I'm going to be stronger emotionally. And so that's what you work on to to understand that you have to get stronger emotionally and you need to not feel guilty for that. Would an example be like say you do have a mum rage moment afterwards if you sat down with your child and actually admitted to your feelings and saying, I'm sorry that I acted out, mummy was just very frustrated at this time and I shouldn't have taken out on you. Would that be a nice approach to, I guess, not 
go down the guilty path because you're owning it. Yes. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but I feel like when I at least go, okay, well, you can use this as a teaching opportunity. I feel like, you know, of course it helps the kids because they're, you know, having emotions labelled, but I feel like any time I do that, I'm then like, okay, don't go down that guilt path because I'm like just own it give yourself a pat on the back for teaching something even if you were completely out of line yeah. before. <laughs> that's exactly right I'm, I am a big believer that every situation that hasn't gone well is a situation for learning so every challenging situation is a great place to learn and in the brain, we are not done to be always really calm and controlling. So we actually have to teach our children. And so if we don't teach them what is right, or what, is, what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong, how will they know? So if you scream at them and leave without telling them anything, they will probably think it's normal to scream. But if you sit down and explain to them, actually, that wasn't really what I want in our family. I would like more quiet, calm place. And what I did wasn't what I believe is the best for our family. And then you teach them what you want them to show. Yeah. And hopefully teaching them what your boundaries are in the meantime. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Now you mentioned that they're finding in the 21st century, it's much more common than say in the 80s. And, you know, this was probably all, let's speak about this outside of pandemic times. Before the pandemic, what was the reasons that they felt that this is so much more common? Is it the expectation we're putting on ourselves as parents? Yes. So there is the expectation we put on on ourselves as parents. And this is due to um, all the new research from the medical field and the psychological field on children's development and what is good for them, what we believe is good for them, but also what what is the consequences of a parental style compared to another one. So that was one of the big reasons parental burnout is more prevalent now than before. And the mountain of um, conflicting information now available to parents can be quite confusing and overwhelming. And for some parents, it can just cause a lot of distress. Like I'm sure you all have a friend who has 20 books at home about Mm. parenting and they don't really know what to do with it. So that's one of the big things, but that's not the only one. There are a few. Another one is the contraception and uh, the possibility to have IVF. So before you had a child and that was done, you just had a child. Now we can choose to have a child. So it comes with a conscious choice and a lot of responsibilities. And so even more, so one of the risk factors is is actually to have gone through IVF. Because when you have gone through IVF and you have wanted this child so much, you have put so much emotional Mm. things in it and and finance and, and everything, like all your body is in this journey. You don't feel comfortable as a parent to actually complain about it after it's mm. hard. And how can you be asking for help when you have been wanting that for so long? So that's a, a second big reason. Would this also be similar to people who have had a miscarriage and wanted to try and have a rainbow baby and then they would perhaps have guilt if, you know, they dare complain? That's right. And I think it's also the feeling of, how beautiful. So when you when you want it so much, you only see the positive part. 
but also our society has completely changed the way we think parenting before parenting was quite true we were saying it's hard and it's easy we were saying both now all our cars are like oh welcome to this beautiful baby you are the luckiest person in the world no one is going to send you a card saying good luck <laughs> I'm Jane so and I sorry would yeah. <laughs> I would for sure so yeah that's another big one but it's so interesting I understand from the IVF perspective and the you know rainbow baby perspective and that's definitely what we've heard from women we've spoken to especially with IVF saying that oh you know once they had their baby they felt like oh I, I can't take mm. anything for granted everything has to be amazing but it's interesting when you said if we're talking about spontaneous conception and I guess that now we can plan our conception so much more, I would have thought that that would do the opposite. So you're saying when there's like whoopsie daisy surprise babies, that actually decreases the risk of parental burnout. Yes, I'm not sure if the study has shown that that much. Mm. So I wouldn't be able to say it, it's yeah. exactly right, but I will so the studies suggest that, um, yes, it would because you would be able to ask for help. Like mm. it, it makes sense. You would be able yeah. to like, that wasn't planned. I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. <laughs> okay, no, that Please makes sense. And I guess, I guess even if you're planning a spontaneous conception, I guess there's often this thing about like, oh, I'll get this travel done and I'll get this done and I'll get that done and all my ducks will be in a row and everything I wanted to do pre-child will be done. So maybe there is, it's just another type of expectation that it's like, oh, I'll feel like that chapter of my life is closed and then I'm ready to move on to another chapter, which it's not that black and white ever. So when you actually think like that, you are definitely more at risk of parental burnout because you are trying to close all your your other identities, mm. travel identities, uh, friend identities, partner identities, to focus yourself on one identity, which is being a mom or being a dad. And when you do this, it can be great if the whole world is happening back. But we all know that children are not really good at being like, you are the best mom ever all day <laughs> long. When, and so... When you get a little disappointed with how much you give in and not getting out as much, and that's when you get into more parental burnout. So it is actually very important to keep all these over identities to not go into parental burnout. Mm. Surely stay-at-home parents, whether it be a mother or a father, would be more at risk of parental burnout, especially in lockdown? Yes, so that that was one of the factors I was saying. So yes, being a full-time parent is a big risk factor. It's interesting that you say surely because the research was actually thinking that it would be the opposite. So as a mom, you already knew that probably it was, and maybe because of COVID. Um, But yes, and the reason is, again, the identity part, but also all the stressors are there all the time. Mm. One of the big symptoms of being stuck at home for so long and not having anything else, there's two major symptoms that are quite important to note, is that parents feel more escape um, thoughts and suicidal thoughts. And that is due to the fact that they are so stuck at home that the Mm. only way to actually get away from that is to 
commit suicide or escape. And it's very, very risky. And that's where asking for help is really important before you arrive to that point. Um, but they found out that there was more people having this thought that in a lot of other mental illnesses, just because you are stuck with the issue for your entire life. So that's quite a big one. And the second one is also child neglect and abuse. Um, because you are stuck again with this situation, you just lash out on your children. And it's due to the fact that the level of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, is higher in parents in parental burnout. And cortisol fuel aggressive behaviors. So again, it's a really bad cycle that we need to stop, but it's not, it's not the wishes of the parents. And actually what the, the studies found is that the parents are often really against being abusive parents, but because their brain is pushing for that, they are doing it. And often, so in France, it's quite um, well known now, these symptoms, but parents can go to the emergency hospital um, with a child which is hurt just because they couldn't stop anymore. And that's that's sometimes the time they say, okay, something is wrong with me. I'm, I'm completely against that. I wonder if with stay-at-home parents, maybe it's picked up later or maybe more diagnosed as depression because you were saying that often, you know, a, a main thing is that when you're taken out of the situation of parenting, you no longer feel burnt out. So I wonder if, mm. you know, with parents that do go to work, they probably notice that contrast because they're like, oh, on my way to work, I feel absolutely amazing. And when I'm at work, I feel great. It's when I'm going going home and dreading getting home. So I wonder if if you're a stay-at-home parent and that is what you're doing day in, day out, seven days a week, you probably would feel as though it's depression or or just parenting or life because there's no like reprieve from it. Yes, definitely. Definitely that could be a possibility. I just want to say something a little positive to make us a little more Happy? Oh, please do. Is <laughs> in a survey that um, Dr. Hoskam did um, last year, she found out that 20% of parents during lockdown were experiencing an increase in the symptom of parental burnout. But she also found, and that's a good news, that in the same survey, 30% of parents were better off. So they were reporting less stress in their life because they had less thing happening in their life. Mm. So it's not all bad for everyone, but we really need to be careful of those groups that are at risk. See, I just think about, I mean, this is the closest that I can think about, the, the mothers or the single parents in lockdown, especially in Victoria, that have just been constantly locked down, only having one or two hours of exercise with their children outdoors. Like if you're sitting in an apartment with I don't know, one, two or three children on your own. I don't know how How on earth are they able to get out of that exhausted, burnt-out state? Yes, yeah, so I hope I made it clear that um, it is a question of resources and stressors. So when you think, how am I going to get out of this situation, try to think about your scale, like a scale where you put stressor in one side and resources in the other side. And then you try to think, which stressor can I take off? Which means what can I do to make my life easier? And what are the resources I can bring back in? Mm. And in a lockdown situation, the resources are harder to find, but they are still available. 
So if you want, I can give you free tips that I give to parents in um, lockdown. Mm, yes, yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So the free tips I would give to your listeners for parental burnout in lockdown will be to introduce a, ro- a routine. So rather than multitasking and trying to do everything, it could be better to prioritize one activity at a time. So you can schedule them in advance and ensure your children understand the new routine and the expectation of them. And this will enable your family to enjoy quality time and with time separated for your work and other responsibilities. So that's that's the first one. And we all know children thrive in routine. So that's a good one to do first. The second one, and I touched really quickly, it was to lower your expectation. Hallelujah. And again, and again, and again, until you feel fine. And that's all good. And so we need to, I think it hasn't been done enough, but we need to address the parenting style to the new norm of COVID-19. We cannot do the same now than before. And this means letting go all your previously held standards that are now completely unrealistic to achieve during lockdown. And it's like in our day and age, now we think we have to be perfect parents, but it's really interesting because um, since I think it was 1980 that Winnicott say and did a lot of studies about parents being good enough and finding out that being a perfect parent was actually not beneficial for a child. It was better to be a good enough parent. Wow. And I think people forget about that study, but it was the first study of a lot of other studies and it hasn't changed. People keep on saying, don't be perfect already because you will never achieve it, but also because it's not good for a child to have someone perfect. It's better to have someone who make mistakes and um, that they teach how to deal with mistakes. Well, thank goodness I'm not perfect because my children (laughs) are very happy to go down my path. Um, One of the things that I was going to say, and especially because I guess I went through postnatal depression with Yumi, I had to in that time understand that obviously to lower my expectations because I was too overwhelmed in my own head. So I've taken a a few tips on my own experience there and put it into my lockdown experience. And what I do is I choose one activity or job that I want to do in a day, just one. So usually I would have 10, but in lockdown with three kids, I have to be realistic on my own self and say, let's do one. It might be homeschooling or it might be doing some cooking or just spending time with them. And the second one is I leave my house like an absolute shit pit until five o'clock or four o'clock. And then I make everyone do an hour of power. And if I can do those two things in a day, like I have reduced so much anxiety throughout the whole week by doing so. Yes, that's that's amazing. And it's great to give advice to each other and to help mothers. So what I actually did is I actually created a Facebook group for parents in parental burnout. And I tried to create this conversation where parents can give each other's ideas on exactly what you say, like what can you do to lower your stress and what can you do to have more resources. So that's a great one to do. Um, and the first tip is um, seek for support. So ask those around you for help. So including your children, like you did really well, Jade, by just saying you get your children to help you. But a lot of people in our day and age think children should just play 
but actually they are to be responsible because we want them to be responsible in this world, but also a lot of them love to help, love to help. So just find what they like to do. They maybe don't like packing away, but they maybe like to put the laundry outside or try to do the dishwasher. I don't know, but they all like to do something. So instead of trying to make them do what you want them to do, find what they like to do and and it's their responsibility. I actually saw someone post on Instagram not that long ago and she said she has, I guess it doesn't really make a difference if they're like a newborn, but I guess from toddler years onwards that she's made a pact with herself that she doesn't wait for her kids to nap or not be there to do housework because she said, I want my kids to know what goes into running this house. So whether it's them helping her or them just witnessing her doing it, she's like, I'm not having them think that while they nap some fucking fairy comes through and does the dishes and cleans the house. Like I want them to witness what goes into this household running smoothly. And I think that's great because so often we wait until their head hits the pillow and then we ferret around and get everything done. And it's like, no, they should know that when they throw that cup of berries on the ground, like it doesn't just magically evaporate. Can I just say that my whole entire household and possibly the neighbourhood are well aware when I'm cleaning. Everyone knows. What happens? I will clean and usually like I've I've thrown it out the window for now because it's lockdown. I can't get cranky and everyone making tents and food on the floor and orange juice and peels here. But on a normal day, if someone drops something, I scream down the hallway, get back and pick it up. I'm not cleaning this. I do this. I'll yell at Nick and tell him he's got to do this, this and this. I will sweep mop. I'll do it all in front of everyone. And I usually do it. And I think we've had a conversation on a other episode about me just trying to deal with my um, outbursts when I'm cleaning. But yeah, it's, it is an actual thing. And my whole family is well aware when I'm cleaning. So maybe we need to find a happy medium. Yeah, I'd love to find a happy medium. If you've got any tips, send them my way. Now, another one that came in was how can we, because you talked about seeking support, how can we communicate with our partner about parental burnout without feeling like we are attacking them? Yes, so it's actually, again, a part of the course, communicating, as you were saying, that it's a very important skill to have as a couple and also as a mother. So I will give you some stuff that a lot of people do and that maybe they could change. So I think a lot of people, when they try to communicate with their partner, they don't necessarily choose the right time to talk. Mm. Often we do it when we are angry, which is not the best time. So as soon as there is emotions, I often say, have a sign. It can be like anything you want, a sign that say to you and your partner, I'm getting too emotional. This needs to stop. We talk later. Mm-hmm. But after that, then we come back and say, I'm ready. But the other is maybe not, but we don't care. <laughs> we are ready. So we want to talk now. <laughs> it needs to be solved now. So it's good to make sure that both of you are actually ready to talk. We accuse the other person. Sorry, I'm laughing. That is me. I will be like, I, I'm i too cross to talk right now. And then when I decide it's time to talk, it's like everything, nothing else matters. Like I'm ready. I've got my dot points written down and I'm ready. I've got I've got my, get the debating team out, doctor hat get on. the adjudicator here because I'm ready to go and nothing's going to stop me. 
<laughs> yes, we all do it. And, and we already think we are already really good to be able to stop when we were emotional. And we are. So we think, I did great, now I'm ready. But yeah, it's good to wait. So we also accuse the other person and use a lot of you. You did this, you did that. It's better than when we begin with you, we change and we say, I feel stress. And not when you did this, but I feel stress <laughs> when this happened. Really go back to actually yourself because the other person did it, but maybe the intention wasn't to make you angry or making you stressed. So you felt stressed, but you had no idea. So it's good to go back to yourself. It's really good. And we all know that to take our share responsibility of the problem. And beginning with that also helped the other to understand, okay, she's here to, or he's here to find a solution, not to attack me. So begin with that, uh, okay, I did this wrong and I'm sorry. It's going to help a lot in the conversation and also a lot in your way to want to solve the problem. Because if you go and say, you did this wrong and I want you to say sorry, you are going to have more issue to solve the problem. We talk in terms of personality often. We say, you're messy. You just don't care, which is quite hard when you say the entire person um, is doing something wrong. It's much more mm. precise and much more true if you say at that point, when you actually dropped the strawberry on the floor and didn't pick them up. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it was Yumi, but let's go with Nick. <laughs> I know that I was like... These are usually his clothes, but let's go. Continue. I was like, I don't have another example in my mind. Okay, so his clothes on the floor. Say, um, say your clothes are always on the floor and I feel stressed about that or more than this than you're messy. Um, that makes... So not listen, dickhead, if you don't pick up your clothes, I'm going to absolutely lose it because honestly, the amount of times I've said it, he has not listened. So I need a different approach. So another thing you can do is actually, if it is really important to you and it's not to him, you have to acknowledge that. So what is important to him that you are not doing uh, and that is not important to you? So it's it's a balance and it's a given given. So ah, maybe sit down so, with- so for example, if I said, because he loves affection and he loves when I cuddle him back, but I sometimes don't because I'm so angry about him putting his clothes on the floor that I can't get over that. So perhaps if I said to Is him- Is an ultimatum about to go. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't think Alina is going to say yes. She Continue. might. She might. But perhaps. <laughs> You're right, Jess. You're right. <laughs> perhaps if I said it makes me very stressed seeing the clothes on the floor, like how I don't hug you back, it's pretty much a very similar feeling. So if you did that for me, I would feel happier and you would probably always get a hug back I don't know I've lost it I think even in just saying like I appreciate that like that's not an important thing for you but it it is important for me and my own mental state mental state but it's true like my Nick couldn't give a shit if there was clothes all over the floor but I hate it and does he do it no so am I gonna have this conversation with him after this chat absolutely (laughs) but I guess yeah like coming from it as a point of like I acknowledge it's not important to you because I feel like otherwise if you're just telling them all the time they're just like why does it matter well I have said it makes me so happy when I come home (laughs) and you have cleaned the entire house and yesterday he did it and I walked in and I was like oh my gosh do you know what love language is and he's like what I'm like 
baby, this is acts of service and you have ticked that box. And you had a whole night romp. No, we didn't. Too tired. Sorry, we're getting off track. No, but yes, it is more um, like if you do two lists of what is important to him, what is important to you. And the top of the list, you can try for a while. Okay, if on the top of your list, Jared, it's packing up the clothes. And on the top of his list, it's, I don't know what it could be, um, but saying. Uh, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> then you just go, okay, uh, are we able to do this for each other? Uh, because it is what you want and what I want for our mental health and we do it. So it's not exactly like you do this and it makes me happy and I will be better after that. It's we are both working on the same level uh, and we are both Mm. working together. I love that. That's like a healthy ultimatum or like a healthy threat. (laughs) A healthy threat. I love it. I wouldn't say the word ultimatum or threat, but more working together towards important things for each other. I love that. I love it. (laughs) But it's really important because we all have different things that are important to us. And if we try to change the other person, it's not going to work. Don't try to change the other person. Try to work with the other person. So that's that's a way that that it can work. Um, And the last thing we often do is to try to force our solution. So we often go, I know what we can do. We can do like this and that will be all good. So Jade saying, for example, pack up your clothes. <laughs> but it would be good to sometimes be able to ask the other person, what do you suggest for us to arrive to the point that you pack up your clothes? What yeah. work for you? What do you propose? Yeah. So that, that could be ideas. Hope it helps. Yep. And speaking of partners or of fathers, you mentioned before that a risk factor for suffering from parental burnout was being a mother. So to me, that indicates that it's more common in mothers than in fathers. Is the expectation lower on fathers? Do they not have this perfect picture in their head? Or is it just that generally the parenting load may be lower for them? So it's a lot of things. So one thing that I need to remind to your listeners is the studies are only since 2017. So it takes a long time to actually make sure that something is exactly correct. But at the moment, what they found out is uh, twice as many women as men experience parental burnout. It's massive. So it's Mm. double. So, and this is probably due to what you were saying, Sophie, which is um, that women still carry 70% of the family mental charge, which again is massive. But what is really important to note is that men are actually more prone to parental burnout. So when men have actually a tiny bit more stressors than a woman or a tiny bit less resources than a woman, they could be burned out quicker. Mm. So women are more resilient to parenting than men. And once in parental burnout, the risk of neglect is higher for men than women. That's a lot of data, but that's already there. Yeah, so these data were quite amazing to have. And the researchers, they think that it suggests that the way we raise our boy is not 
helping them to become resilient fathers. Mm. And we really need to change the way we are with them. So for example, when you are a um, little girl and you're allowed to play with a doll and wash them and put the clothes on and do all that kind of stuff, you learn to become a mother. You also learn to multitask. You also learn all these kind of skills that are very important for parenting. But when you are a boy and you are not allowed or not as much push to do all these activities, it gives you this disadvantage compared to girls. Mm. So yes, it's important that we allow boys. It's important that we train our boys to become fathers. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I mean, we've said it before that like, I, I think that it's great that the responsibility of parenting for fathers is getting larger. But I do wonder if there are enough resources out there for them to do that because I feel like there's, you know, more and more out there, for example, this podcast for mothers, but what is there out there if you are, for example, a full-time stay-at-home dad? I can imagine, I mean, I know how isolating being a mother is, so I can only imagine what that would be like as a full-time stay-at-home dad. Exactly. Yes, it's uh, what is fascinating about all these studies on parental burnout is how much our society has to change um, if we don't want this to become a really big syndrome. And it will take a long time for our society to change, but there is a few things that we should do to help our society to not become more in parental burnout. I wonder if from lockdown, at least maybe if it is a family that has, that there's two parents there and there's one that's the main caretaker of the children and one who's the main worker. I wonder if with so many more people working from home, maybe there'll be a greater understanding within mm. family units of what is involved with being a stay at home or caretaker parent. Like, I wonder if that could at least be one advantage from this, that it's like a bit of an eye opener of what it is to stay at home. I hope so. And um, what was really encouraging is that 20% of the people were more in burnout or having more symptoms of parental burnout, I should say, but 30% were better. So we're better off. Yeah. So you will think that what you said is happening. People are understanding more what is involved and helping each other a little more. How can we communicate parental burnout to the older generation? Yes, <laughs> it is really good again to acknowledge that they probably didn't have it. So that's probably the first thing to say is actually saying that's a new thing. You didn't have it when you were parents. But did they not have it or were they just not allowed to whinge about anything? I'm not saying parental burnout is just whinging, but I feel like I feel like they were just it was ingrained in them to just get on with everything. (laughs) So I think the big difference was, and that's my own thinking here, they had much less stress on parenting Mm. because they did not know what we know now about all the effect of or what we believe or the effect of our parental style has on children development. So, and so much more before um, hundred years ago, there was no pressure from the government to be a good parent. If you were not doing the right thing, that was your family problem. Mm. Now, if you're not doing the right thing, your children can be taken away. That's a very mm. different thing. And that's a big stress on people. So yeah, there is a lot of things that are different for them compared to us. And if we remind them what is different for them 
compared to us, it will help them. But yes. What advice would you give parents that are in parental burnout? So what advice would I give to parents in parental burnout would be if you are already in parental burnout, seek for help. That would be the biggest one because it would be really hard to actually stop it by yourself just because your brain is, again, with this cortisol hormone and it's difficult to stop it. So I would say look for help. And if you already have a therapist, just keep going with them and tell them that you believe you're in parental burnout and so they can look a little more into it. Um, but the biggest thing is, as I already said, like looking for less stressor and having more resources around you. So that's the entire story behind the treatment of parental burnout. That's on that. And then when we do the course on parental burnout, we try to understand uh, what brings you personally to parental burnout. So it's a lot of thinking what makes you be in parental burnout. For some people, it would be trying to be a perfect parent. For some other people, it will be having this feeling that they can do everything by themselves. So it depends on what you what makes you being in parental burnout. And I guess knowing that it's not a weakness or a fault of your own and it is so common and especially now yeah. it's a normality, isn't it? Yes. Um how can you recover if you don't get time away from actual parenting? So you're in the thick of it, you're at home, your partner's away working or you're a stay at home mother or father. What can you do to get a little bit of self-care or time to yourself or, I don't know, a break? Yes. So as I was saying before, the big difference between work burnout and parental burnout is not having this break. And that, that's what makes it much harder on parents. So I'm not sure if you can have a break because children are always there, but what you can change is your way to think. So at the moment, we think quality time is a quality time for the child and even harder on parents. Some parents think quality time has to be an educative time. So parents will be doing a painting, but an amazing painting, trying to teach them about the color mixing or trying to do a science experiment, all this stuff. But sometimes it's just in our day, right now we often say, Children shouldn't watch TV. I think, as a psychologist, I think that if you really need a break and you need a time to be just relaxing for a while and be present with your children later, just do it. Just allow yourself to have your children watching TV. It's fine. And there's, and I wouldn't even say because later you will be better, but because just now you need it. Mm. So it's, yeah. it's just like really allowing yourself to do stuff that probably you wouldn't do before. Yeah, so changing. I feel like I'm guilty of that, of like trying to find an activity that's like, you know, when I feel like I need a break, like trying to find an activity that's meaningful, but then maybe they don't find it as engaging. So then they still come and try and talk to you because the thing that they're doing isn't gripping them. And then so you haven't really got time by yourself. On, so and I haven't you actually enjoyed the activity on. you've done. And, you know, if I had have just put Paw Patrol on in the first place, well, I would have actually got my half an hour to an hour to myself. Do you know what I mean? Rather than this like half-assed time to myself. Yes. yes, definitely. And the second thing is actually, can I ask you, 
if you think about a quality time with your family when you were younger, what would it be? Board games. Yeah, I'd say going to the beach or just eating dinner together at the kitchen table. Yeah. Jade, you, I don't like your answer. <laughs> Why? Oh, no, because, you, because it's too, it's too <laughs> educational. <laughs> it was way too educational. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I'm joking. For me, it was actually watching TV as a teenager with my mom. And when I realized that and how much quality was in these moments, because she was yeah. very passionate about understanding what I like. Like we were watching TV, we were relaxing, but I could see that my mom was fully like, what do my teenager like? What, what, does, she, what does she want in life? And that was the best time for me. And so often when I ask this question, thank you, Jade, for your answer. But often when I ask the question, it's very simple stuff, very simple. Eating dinner. Um, going to the beach. It's very easy stuff. You might be happy with this answer because I, for my time with my children, I actually sit and lie with them at night and watch a Netflix series and they get so excited because I'm engaged off my phone and purely just focusing on what they're interested in. And if I go any further, I'm just going to say that Chris Hemsworth is on Saddle Club. Can you believe that? Oh, I'm putting it on tonight. (laughs) Yeah, he's the vet. If I see him down the street, I'm actually going to pull him up on that. I'm not going to say I feel guilty because we're not trying to feel guilty, but I feel like maybe I should sit next to Poppy and actually watch Paw Patrol. She'd probably be stoked if I was like, oh, that's really cool that Skyler's doing that. Can I just say, and this is the saddest thing, because I actually remember my mum always being really productive. I'm very productive around the house. She would never sit. So whenever she watched a movie, I was like, oh my gosh, mum's in the room. She's watching it and she's not folding anything. Whenever I sit down on the couch, and I've done this a few times lately, I can see the girl's eyes turn to me and see that I'm actually only focusing on the TV show that they're watching. And then they start engaging going, mom, are you watching this? And I'm like, yeah, babe, I'm fully, I'm thinking about something else, but I'm actually watching it. And they are so happy that I'm actually sharing the same experience. Uh It's, it's, it kind of seems sad, but it's kind of really cute. It is. And it is teaching them that quality time can be anything. And that's, that's the important thing. What is quality time? And we often think too much about the children and we don't think about, oh, actually a quality time is something that both of us need to like. So it's, it's important to go back to that. So to, for parents to go, okay, you can sit down actually with your child sometimes and say to them, what do you want to do today? And they will say it and say, sometimes you ask yourself the question, but one day your child will ask it to you back, but you can say, what do I want today for myself? And you say what you want and you try to find a solution that you both can have what you want and trying to find something that both of you will like and to do together or that you can say, okay, today we are not managing to have a quality time together, but but can we both fill our work up at different times and just try to make it work like this? So we do your activity first. I love that. It is Mm. important to you and it will be good for you, but I really want something for me too today. It's so good to teach them that, that you're not just this robot doing everything for them, but you actually need stuff for you. And our last final question, when does it end? It ends when you have more resources or less stressors, so when your balance is more in a healthy way. But it also ends when your risk factors or whatever was uh, the reason why you went into burnout is gone. 
And I will just try to be more positive for the end. Most of the parents are worrying parental burnout have children under five years old. So before five years old, a lot of stressors, not a lot of resources. After five years old, if your child doesn't have difficulties, you should be in a better place. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. I think a lot of parents are going to get something out of this episode and we will have everything linked in the show notes so people can find you and the information that you've provided. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, that was great. Thank you. I really enjoyed this chat. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.